It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, recently I got asked a question by a caller, and the question was very, very interesting, and I thought the answer was relatively simple. The question was, have you ever paid anybody to be a guest on your show? And I mentioned the one or two people that had asked over the years, but the answer was no. Uh, I wish that I could, but one, I don't have the money, and two, it would create a, a very dangerous precedent if I started paying guests to be on this show. However, I began to contemplate again my answer because in booking our next guest, I realized that part of our standard agreement is every time he appears on this show, I send him a bottle of Bombay Sapphire Gin. So I don't think that's what the caller meant, but I guess the kind of principle is still the same. I am thrilled to have our next guest on this program, uh, not only because he is the proudest drunk and degenerate gambler that I know, makes me look like a piker, not only because he is a legendary criminal defense attorney that some would call a mob lawyer, not only because he's a best-selling author, but because since this is our first week airing on K-Dawn in Las Vegas, one of the great radio stations in one of the greatest cities in the world. I can't think of a better advocate, spokesperson, and cheerleader for Las Vegas than the former mayor and the current first man, renowned criminal defense attorney, Oscar Goodman. Mr. Mayor, it's great to talk to you again. Frank, it's always good talking to you. I'm sorry it's not in person because I'm running a little a little low on the Bombay Sapphire and uh uh, when you give it to me, please uh, include a couple of jalapenos because that's what I like to put in it. And it has a tremendous soothing effect upon me. And I'm able to speak much more clearly than I can without it. <laughs> you know, uh, the only place that I ever have the jalapeno martinis is at uh, Oscar's Beef, Booze and Broads, your restaurant uh, on top of the plaza in Las Vegas. Uh, it's still it has a little bit more of a kick than I think I can handle. Have you always been partial to jalapeno? Uh, not really. As a matter of fact, at home and I'm not allowed to tell people this, but instead of the jalapeno, my wife has uh, concocted uh, uh, a combination of jalapeno and uh, the sliced carrots that you usually get in a Mexican restaurant. And uh, the combination of them is even better than one jalapeno, to be honest. Oh. The only problem is it takes up too much space. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the problem. I had to put one less ice cube in my drink, uh, but it's okay. I, I gave a talk here, Frank, uh, that was called The Kid from West Philly and the Cowboy Sheriff, Sheriff last Wednesday night. And, of course, I'm from West Philadelphia originally, and the cowboy sheriff was Ralph Lamb, who was legendary here, a, a giant of a man. And he took on the mob, and over a period of time, we went from avowed enemies to the best of friends. And he came down to the restaurant uh, uh, when he was, uh, oh, in his mid-80s, and he was not as well as I would have liked to have seen him. And he said, Oscar, I've come for your drink. I said, which one? He said, his honor. That's what they call it. Is it? It's the uh, Bombay Sapphire and the Jalapeno. I said, no, you can't have it, Sheriff. He said, no, I, I wanted everybody's talking about this drink. I said, let me tell you, Sheriff. I showed him a martini glass, and I measured one half of it, and I said, you know, from the top, 
to the middle. It's as smooth and pleasant and wonderful as it could be. But from the F to the stem, you start losing your taste, your, your feel in your fingers, your toes curl up. And I said, I'm not going to let you have it. So he said, I'm going to have it. Well, you don't say no to this fellow so easily, even uh, the, well, he was fairly elderly, but he was still uh, a, a giant of a man. And next thing I turn around, he's on the floor. He took one step of the thing and fell over. So I figured the worst that happens in my obituary is they say I killed a giant of a sheriff. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. You know, you alluded uh, to your wife. For people that don't know, she's the current mayor of Las Vegas. She succeeded you. There's one thing you got to clarify for me, though. I know you were term limited and she was elected yes. right after you. I was under the impression that when she was reelected in 2019, that that was going to be her third and final term. Now, I thought it was a four year term, but here we are in 2024 and she's still the mayor. How well, how can that be? When does her term go to? It's very simple. Um, I don't make friends easily, Frank, and uh, uh, I, I didn't uh, uh, didn't make friends with the legislators, and uh, they uh, they knew about the three four year term limitation which I was subject to, so they actually changed the entire voting schedule uh, that they set an extra year uh, for uh, uh, the mayor who would succeed me. So that mayor would do if they won the election <laughs> two, two fours and a five. And uh, she was great. She held a press conference and everybody came and she said, I finally beat him. I finally beat him. Uh, But between (laughs) the two of us, we've got 25 years of being the mayor of the finest city in the world. And she's done a a phenomenal job. I mean, uh, everything she touches turns to gold. She she founded the first nonprofit, nonsectarian private school in Nevada uh, and had no interest at all in being the mayor. But my children, when they saw I was being... uh, um, swept out the, the front door or the back door, whatever door it was. They said, Mom, you got to run. And she said, I'm not running. And then when she cleaned the house once and uh, cleaned the house the second time after she retired from the school, she said, I'm never cleaning the house again. And they said, okay, then run for mayor. And she ran. And she won overwhelmingly. And she's now in her third and last term. But she picked up the extra year and doesn't let me forget it gotcha. any, day, <laughs> any day that we live. But she's a wonderful lady. Oh, yeah. You've met Carolyn. Great sense of humor, beautiful, nice legs, uh, the whole works. I mean, I, I am, uh, I'm on top of the world every time I look at her. I am the happiest guy you ever lived. You're not a bad first man either. Now, once again, the eyes of the world are on Las Vegas because of the Super Bowl taking place there on Sunday. There's a lot of excitement. There, everybody, all these news networks, TV networks, newspapers are all doing stories about what it's like in Las Vegas this week because of all the anticipation and the excitement of Las Vegas's first Super Bowl, at least as a host city. What is Vegas like right now in advance of the Super Bowl? Well, there's certainly a, a hum and a buzz and uh, uh, a certain uh, electricity that goes along with neon, and uh, everybody's getting ready for it. The community is volunteering to participate as volunteers, and uh, uh, the players just came in, I guess, yesterday on two separate planes, and they're going to respective practice fields here. And, of course, we have the added factor of uh, uh, Kelsey and his girlfriend, 
that has uh, brought in a whole different uh, interest than one would ordinarily have for Super Bowl. And it's uh, sort of the culmination of uh, our effort to get uh, professional major league sports teams here. We brought in, uh, oh, we have uh, hockey with the Vegas Golden Knights. we got the Raiders. Uh, I know uh, with Adam Silver giving Carolyn a wink, we're going to get the NBA one of these days. It's just a matter when, not if. And uh, she's always talking to uh, Commissioner Garber with the MLS. So uh, we are not only the entertainment capital of the world, but we're also the sports capital of the world. Uh, the one thing I don't like is I'm, I'm not a big uh, A's fan uh, for a lot of different reasons, one of which, they, in my opinion, they picked the wrong site. There was a site that the city was uh, more than happy to uh, negotiate with them and give it to them for next to nothing. And instead of opposing uh, liability on taxpayers, they chose to go out on the strip and they could have had a great real estate play here, but uh, nobody even wanted to talk. There's no vision. That's the problem, Frank. You know, we started off, you've been out here and uh, we've shown you around, you know, our Symphony Park. That was an old railroad site that that was had to be remediated. Nobody wanted to get near it for fear of turning green. Uh, but, uh, you know, once you uh, clean up the, the dirt, uh, everybody wanted a, a piece of it. And they don't even think in terms of uh, this other site, which doesn't need that kind of remediation, because uh, it's uh, probably in the last remaining vestige of land that uh, uh, isn't expensive here. And uh, it could have been a great place for a stadium. Uh, it, it could have been a, a, a place like uh, San Francisco with uh uh, their Embarcadero, where they uh, uh, built the baseball stadium, or San Diego with the Gasland District. But people don't have any vision. They all want to go mm. with something that's already developed. So I'm not high on the team, uh, but uh, mm. that's their problem. That's not, not my problem. You know, there was a wonderful uh, piece on you in the New York Times. People can go online and read it. In fact, I've just linked to it on my Facebook page. People can check it out. But the headline says, don't bet on this former Vegas mayor being at the Super Bowl. Now, as you mentioned and as you wrote about in your book, you tried for years to get major league sports teams and professional sports teams to Las Vegas. Now, this would seem like the culmination of your vision. Your uh, wife, the current mayor makes the point that you've always loved sports and you'd love to gamble. You could easily get a seat in a luxury box at the stadium for Sunday so- Super Bowl, but you're not going. How come? Well, we've been offered seats, and uh, of course, everybody wants the mayor there, and uh, she would drag me along. But the truth of the matter is, uh, historically, I love the Super Bowl. I, I love the Super Bowl day, and I get a kick out of it when the uh, NFL uh, wouldn't allow us to say Super Bowl. We had to call it the big game. But, uh, right, us uh, too. Yeah, shame on them. But uh, uh, I, lo- I love my home. Uh, I love my family. I love my Bombay. Uh, I love the bets that I can make. And I love staying at home on Super Bowl. Uh, people uh, uh, want to know who I'm picking and make different appearances and that kind of thing. But there's nothing, to be honest with you, I don't think there's anything like being in your home, cozy, drunk and uh, doing all the things you like and then having uh, a wonderful uh, set of appetizers put in front of you and sharing it with uh, family and friends. And that's what I prefer to do uh, rather than to fade the traffic out there. 
Well, you know, that's the, uh, you know, I had an opportunity, a friend of mine invited me to the Super Bowl, uh, and I was thinking about it just because I love Las Vegas and I've never been, I thought it would be a fun experience, but that was exactly my rationale that, you know, sometimes it's nice to just enjoy the comforts of home. Do you think I made the right decision by not going? Oh, I'm not going to say that. I think it's, uh, you know, all of these major events are, are, are life-changing as far as the sports fan is concerned. Uh, my wife and myself uh, got tickets from reputed mobsters to see the uh, Kansas City Royals and the Philadelphia Phillies, I believe, in about 1980 and uh, back in Kansas City and had the best seats in the house. As a matter of fact, uh, Tom Lasorda, who we met uh, on the in the airport and took a cab together, he wanted to know who this guy and the, who the lady were who had the best seats in the house. Uh, uh, it's great to, to, to go to a great event. My, Carolyn and myself went to see uh, the uh, uh, the NBA uh, midseason uh, uh, contest that they had out here, and uh, that was that was a great event. So, and we've been to the All Star Game, the first NBA All Star Game uh, that was uh, in a city that did not have a franchise, I believe, back in two thousand and five or three, one of those days. And sure, it, it's great going to these events, but uh, once again, uh, I. I I, I don't know. It's, it may be because my children are, uh, they won't fight with each other. There won't be scratching and pinching and that kind of thing. So uh, they're all, they're all mature uh, adults and all I have to do is control some grandchildren. And it, it's just going to be an absolute pleasure watching the game. I think it's the kind of game uh, because there's not a home team playing there uh, that you can really sit back and study it and you see the replays and sure. Uh, nobody's bothering you for an autograph or take your picture, Mayor, that kind of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm very happy with the decision that we made. Good. Well, so you write, and we're talking with Oscar Goodman, if people are just tuning in, former mayor of Las Vegas, the current first spouse in Las Vegas. And if you want to read a book that has some great stories, not just about Las Vegas and not just about politics, but about the mob and the criminal justice system, you've got to check out the book, Being Oscar, from mob lawyer to mayor of uh, a mayor of Las Vegas, only in America. And in that book, Oscar, you spend a lot of time basically lambasting the uh, NFL and the other professional sports leagues, because at the time they didn't want Las Vegas to ever have a major sports franchise because they were afraid of the influence of gambling on the players and the management. Why did the professional sports teams change their tune? It seems now you can't keep the professional sports leagues out of Las Vegas. What happened from when you were shooting for this years ago to now? Why'd they change their mind? I don't. I don't have to tell you because you're a smart fella. It's all about money. Uh, it's not about uh, what's right, what's wrong. You know, it was easy to put a label on us of Sin City. I always liked that label because it gave Las Vegas a certain allure that no other city could have. We were born from the mob. That's why the Mob Museum is so successful here. So uh, I never objected to it. But when we back went back to New York and I spoke to Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, he. He was high on Las Vegas. He said it would be a great place, but we don't have any teams that are interested in expansion uh, or, or new teams that uh, want to come there at this point. But I think Vegas is a great place, he said. And then we went down the road and spoke to the old Kermit Mudgeon himself, David Stern, uh, who over time we became good friends. But uh, when I spoke to him, we went into his office and he said, I wouldn't allow an NBA franchise to go there over my dead body. And I said, do you know what I was doing last week before I was the mayor? Uh, I think I could arrange that. Uh, 
So that, that put everything in place. And then we went to NBA Euro and saw the NBA teams play over there. We spent uh, five days in three different cities. And I was actually uh, a bookmaker then. I, I set up my little book. I had my showgirls with me. I was taking bets from everybody in the audience. None of them spoke English. And uh, Stern's right behind me. I was eating his heart out. But when it came time for uh, the, the uh, shootout at uh, OK Corral or High Noon, whatever you want to say, uh, he came up to my office and he said, okay, you won. I said, what did I win, Commissioner? And he said, uh, I-, I won't object to have an all-star game in your city as long as the owners of the casinos uh, have no objection. So I went out and they got the owners to agree. But it was a bad weekend for us in the sense that, uh, like, the, uh, a Chinese New Year, which is a big deal here, uh, the President's Day, which is not such a big deal, uh, the Magic Show, which is a big deal here, and all of the confluence of these things coming together. And I knew there was something wrong because when I went uh, uh, from the airport and, and uh, uh, came back from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, I saw a, a couple of my uh, former clients who were ladies of the night, shall I say. And I mm. said, uh, ladies, are you coming to the game? They said, what game? I said, uh, what are you coming up here? Oh, it's the weekend. So... Uh, <laughs> What can I tell you, Frank? All I can tell you is I keep on smiling. I keep on laughing. As long I love as all it. My, my friends and my family are healthy. That's all I care about. And uh, I have everything that a man or a woman could want. I have a wonderful wife, wonderful children, wonderful grandchildren, nice home. I mean, I'm on top of the world. So, uh, And I have friends like you, which is terrific. And I'm so happy wow. that you're going to have a presence here in Las Vegas. And that means that we'll be spending a little more time than you usually do. And I hope you bring your lovely wife. She's a no doubt about it. Count on it. And uh, I'll be counting on you for uh, advice in terms of, uh, you know, they say in New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Some folks will say that's doubly true in Las Vegas. So whatever advice you have about uh, appealing to an overnight Las Vegas constituency, believe me, I'm all ears. Well, it's probably a good constituency because we're a 24 hour uh, town. So, uh, uh, at least a third of our population is up at night, and uh, uh, your show is the only thing that's uh, good after, let's say, midnight. And uh, you're gonna, a lot of people are going to be listening to you. You're going to be a force to contend with here, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you. I really am. And you know, it's the only show where, yeah, you can really have an intelligent conversation with somebody, and uh, they're not looking at their watch or their pocketbook. Well, yeah, don't ruin our reputation. We don't want anybody thinking the show's too intelligent, uh, Oscar. Hey, who are you betting on Sunday? Not telling yet. I mean, people are pay- <laughs> they're paying me for that information, Frank. I'm not giving that away for nothing. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. I figured I'd try and slip one past you. Uh, I was watching the Grammys on Sunday, and they did a really interesting cutaway to the Sphere in Las Vegas, and saw and you too was performing there. Now I had heard a lot about the Sphere, but I think this was the first time they actually had TV cameras in there. Uh, it looked really remarkable. Have you been inside? And and what's your take on what this means for not only Las Vegas, but kind of for the future of indoor entertainment? Well, I, I think it's something unique. My wife has been out there. I haven't got, uh, gotten out there yet. I, uh, I'm busy with a lot of different projects and haven't taken the time to go out. But I understand that it is uh, unique, to say the very, very least. And uh, I think that it changes the way people will be looking at live entertainment. And the nice thing is you drive by there at night and it's all lit up and they have uh, different programming that the public could see. 
uh, from uh, their hotel room. And uh, it really is, uh, it's a, uh, it's a marvel. It's, it's one of the wonders of the world, actually, the way it's built. It didn't take them that long, really. And uh, I think it's going to change the way, well, everything's changing. You know that artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, the the Internet, the use of the iPhones, the social media. It's, it's a different world than the world that I was used to. I sort of like uh, the old times where everything depended on a handshake and a smile. And, and, and that's my kind of world. Uh, but, uh, you know, they say it, we're, we're making progress. I'm not sure what's happening around the world is progress, to be quite frank with you. You know, lastly, I'll end with this, Oscar. I'll take advantage of both your political expertise and your legal expertise, because these days when it comes to the presidential election, looks like they're one in the same, the legal issues and the political issues. Uh, one of the cases that everyone said was potentially the most damaging to President Trump was this situation in Georgia. And now it looks yeah. like the D.A. there appointed a special prosecutor who she's paid about $700,000 in taxpayer money to. And evidently it's her boyfriend now. She says they didn't begin this romantic relationship until after she appointed him. But a lot of folks in the Trump camp are saying this is cause at the very least for her to be removed from this case. You've dealt with a lot of special prosecutors and a lot of prosecutors with conflicts of interest over the years. What's your take on that case? And do you have an inkling on which way Nevada is going to go in the presidential election in general? Because they're saying that Nevada is one of six battleground states that could determine the whole election. Well, in answer to your first question, uh, and, and I've always taken the position, I, I don't like to uh, comment on somebody else's case, but this to me is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard of in my life. The prosecutor has never tried a case. He's getting uh, almost as much money as I would for a case, and uh, I tried hundreds of them. Turns out that uh, the boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever you call that relationship these days, if nothing else, it was foolishness to even think that they would get away from it and to think that good good lawyers, lawyers that you would believe that Trump would hire, uh, are going to discover this very, very early. There are a lot of people who are Trumpers or Trumpsters, whatever they are, and uh, this was no secret down there. And if she's getting what she deserves and she, uh, they're she has all that she can handle explaining this one. And it's like anything else. I learned early on from some reputed mobsters. They said, Oscar, if you make a mistake, and I made plenty of them, uh, all you do is tell me and uh, don't make the same mistake again. Uh, the worst thing you could do is try to sweep it under the, the carpet. And every time you do that, it comes back and it bites you on your head. And uh, she's got a lot of bites on her head. The poor prosecutor, he's standing there like he's in the dock and is about to be given the death penalty by uh, somebody. Uh, so uh, I think it was foolishness on how they acted down there. It makes no sense to me. Uh, uh, no sense. Zero. I, I just uh, could not believe that something like that is taking place. But not my case, not my worry. Now, as far as the election is concerned, I think it's like a swinging pendulum. Uh, something's mm-hmm. happening every single day. And uh, I think Nevada will be looked at as a very important state. Uh, as far as the uh, the ultimate election is concerned. But uh, there are a lot of questions. What's the Supreme Court going to do? Are they going to say that he, uh, the former President Trump uh, participated in a, uh, a seditionist-type act uh, on January the 6th? Uh, these are uh, questions that aren't settled yet. And 
anybody who wants to make a line on this one, they're dumber than I am because uh, it's a moving, <laughs> it's a moving ball, and uh, the facts are not in place yet. And once they're in, uh, once they're in place, I just hope that the Supreme Court makes a good, sound legal decision instead of a political one. I think if this turns more political than it has, uh, then uh, uh, we're heading down the wrong path. And, you know, I'm thinking of the prosecutor down in Atlanta the same way I think about the Supreme Court justice who says that he got gifts, he got trips, he got money, he got everything, and uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, there is something wrong with it. It doesn't pass the smell test. Right. And the public, uh, after a while, the public's not going to stay for this kind of crap. Uh, So, uh, I think that uh, maybe this will be an event that uh, will teach people a lesson. And it's a shame that people have to learn lessons that way, but there's a lesson to be learned here. As my wife, my, my wife always says, the one thing you want is you want truth and honesty. And uh, if you don't have those two things, you got nothing, and she wants no part of you. And that's the way I look at the judiciary and look at the uh, relationship between the judge and the prosecutor. So we'll see how it plays out. It's, You know, it's almost like a daytime soap that uh, went broke. What can I tell you? Mr. Mayor, it is always a treat to talk with you. I, too, uh, wish we were doing this in person. The gin is in the mail, and I hope to see you soon. Uh, Please give my best to uh, the current mayor as well. I shall, my friend. Say hi to your wife, too, please. I certainly will. Uh, the great Oscar Goodman. Again, if you enjoy a nice story or several nice stories, uh, check out his book, Being Oscar. It's available on Amazon or wherever you get your books. And uh, wherever there's a Vegas conversation to be had, there is no better spokesman for that city than Oscar Goodman. And uh, glad that he's going to be my radio Sherpa now that we're on K-Dawn. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you might uh, be willing to give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 800 800-848- 848 Four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead.